Good morning. It is Friday, April 17th, and this is Community Pulse, KOPN's grassroots report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri, where we provide local updates and public health information about the ongoing pandemic from a unique community radio perspective. You can catch Community Pulse live every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. And if you happen to miss an episode, you can find it later in the day online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Yesterday, on Thursday, Governor Mike Parson ordered an extension to the statewide stay-at-home order for Missouri. Parson said he's extending the stay-at-home order through May 3rd to give state leaders more time to prepare the economy and get Missourians back to work. On today's discussion here on Community Pulse, we'll be talking about budgets and COVID-19 and how Missouri is dealing with economic consequences of the pandemic. Joining me by phone to discuss this and more is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician, and our guest this morning is Kip Kendrick, Missouri State Representative from the 45th District. Good morning, Elizabeth and Kip. Good morning, and good morning, morning. Kip. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I want to start with the numbers like usual. Uh, Global cases are up to 2.2 million with 145,000 deaths, 546,000 recovered. And the following is now talking about testing. So they're saying that we've had 18 million tests worldwide. Uh, with seven billion of us on the on the world, it's probably a really tiny number. Um, the United States has six hundred and seventy six thousand cases with twenty eight thousand deaths, uh, a little bit less than two thousand people recovered, and three point four million tests. Missouri has um, five thousand two hundred forty cases, which is an increase of about two hundred and fifteen from yesterday, with one hundred and seventy seven deaths. Uh, and 50,000 tests. Yeah. And the daily rate of testing seems to be decreasing over the last week, and I'm not sure what that's about. In Boone County, there are 92 cases now and one death. Cole County has 41 cases and one death, and Callaway County has 20 cases and one death. And there's a little cluster going on in Montauk County that may be associated with a, a meat processing plant. So that's kind of what's going on with the the numbers. Uh, so, Kip, thank you so much for um, agreeing to join us. I know that you've been thinking about budget numbers, and I sure do appreciate you thinking about those. And I'm wondering, what are your major thoughts about um, budget changes in response to the economic downturn in Missouri? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I'm very concerned about the public health crisis, but as my, uh, my role in the General Assembly as the ranking uh, minority member on the Budget Committee, uh, and where I spend the majority of my time in the General Assembly, a lot of my focus for the last several weeks have been on the um, revenues and uh, the state budget, not just for the remainder of FY20, but also looking forward to the fiscal year 21, which will begin in July. Um, last week, we passed a what is being touted as around a $6 billion package of aid uh mostly federal aid coming down to the state in a supplemental FY20 uh, budget. But when you really dig down into it, there's a, there's a good amount of excess appropriation authority in there in that budget. Uh, but really what we're looking at is uh, roughly $2.3 billion in uh, coronavirus relief funds uh, that Missouri is eligible to receive, uh, $300 million, roughly $300 million for Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, 
uh, an additional $200 million for higher education, both uh, public and private institutions across the state, and then um, an increase in FMAP, which is the federal reimbursement for Medicaid expenditures, a 6.2% increase there, which is comes into the state. It's a reimbursement, so it kind of basically mirrors our general revenue, and that is roughly $350 million, a little bit less than $350 million that we can access to, to kind of plug some of the budget holes for the remainder of the current fiscal year. We're really looking at a, being off of our consensus revenue estimate for FY20 by about $700 million. Uh, a decent chunk of that is money that we're pushing forward due to an extended tax filing deadline, pushing forward from this fiscal year to next fiscal year. So we'll be collecting a decent amount of money in July of uh, 2020, which is the start of the new fiscal year with tax payments coming due. Um, and projecting and forecasting forward for FY21 are, are, is extremely difficult at this point. Um, we will be taking up the FY21 budget starting April 27th in the House. We'll resume uh, budget talks and expect to see a lot of amendments, uh, expect the, the budget to look dramatically different from what we passed out of committee uh, just a little over a month ago. Everything is different than a little over a month ago, I'm sure. Um, so I know that one of the things that people locally have been talking about is um, the budget for the University of Missouri, which is such a major employer um, in the in Boone County. And I, um, it's not clear to me what what's happening. Is it clear to you what what the university is saying? Well, so I, I have not necessarily seen uh, their spreadsheets or you know reconciliation on how uh, their budget cuts and, and what they're projecting with likely disruptions in enrollment. Uh, but from the state perspective, uh, the governor did withhold, um, I believe it was around $36.5 million from the University of Missouri system uh, for the remainder of the fiscal year. Those withholds came down about two weeks ago at this point. And that's, withholds that late in the fiscal year are so difficult uh, to maneuver. Uh, you know, typically if you're going to see withholds, they come earlier in the fiscal year so that um, so the institutions have the ability to um, to plug in or freeze expenditures elsewhere in order to absorb those withholds. Uh, so that was a significant issue. And you know, Missouri is no is not unique from any other state in the nation. Um, as we look forward to FY21, it, it's very unfortunate, but usually when there are budget shortfalls, uh, higher education is, is becomes the balancing wheel for the state budget uh, and usually takes the brunt of cuts um, and definitely took the brunt of withholds uh, in, the, in the round of withholds we saw just two weeks ago. And these withholds are, are needed because we're not getting our income tax revenues coming in and uh, businesses are not... Um, being as active, so there's like the whole economy is slowing down, which means the state doesn't have the money that it thought it was going to. Is that am I understanding that right? Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. So you're you're right. It's a twofold issue that we're facing right now for the remainder of the current fiscal year. We're facing the economy hitting a brick wall, uh, so employer income tax withholdings are going down significantly. Sales tax is dropping off. Uh, other revenue that's collected. Is, is falling off, but then also the fact that 
we pushed uh, the fi- tax filing deadline back, mirroring the federal government, which was a good idea. We should have we we should follow the federal government, but that book pushed so much of the tax collection that would have come in in April back to July. It's creating a, a major cash flow problem. Yeah, and and Missouri has uh, constitutional requirements on keeping the budget somewhat balanced. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So if the um, if the budget is ever out of balance, then the, the governor has the ability to withhold to put it back in balance. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, this, these are the kinds of times when folks think about, well, let's just, you know, deficit spend to get us through a crisis, but Missouri's not able to do that. That's right. And, you know, I I understand the concern of the national debt. I, I'm, I'm concerned about, uh, I believe, what is a what is $22 trillion national debt at this point. But it in times like this, deficit spending at the federal level, um, you know, does become important for states. Uh, the you know the CARES Act that was passed recently, like I mentioned, is um, is allocating 2.3 billion dollars of coronavirus relief funds in the state of Missouri and, and other funds as well. And those funds um, are going to be critical in, in helping Missouri kind of weather this storm moving forward. You know, I, I don't like seeing deficit spending in, in good economic times and conditions um, at right. the federal level. But when you get in scenarios like this, uh, you know, spending to uh, allow greater flexibility to state levels is very important for us. Yeah. So the other thing that I'm seeing connected with your name is a um, is an effort to allow folks who are receiving SNAP benefits to use those. Um, electronically so that basically people who are getting government nutritional support can uh, also stay out of grocery stores. Is that, am I understanding that situation correctly? That's correct. Um, This issue was brought to my attention, I guess, uh, about a week and a half ago or a couple weeks ago at this point uh, by a constituent of mine who reached out to me and and let me know I, I was unaware that that barrier existed and so started digging into it um, and realized that it, it's not a state-level barrier. It's a, a barrier at the, at the federal level. Uh, the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, did create a pilot program, online purchase pilot program for SNAP uh, that went live a year ago at this point. And so uh, since that time, since being alerted to this issue by my constituent, I've worked with uh, Department of Social Services on uh, getting a waiver put together uh, for Missouri's participation in this pilot program and, and worked with our federal delegation as well so that when the waiver is submitted, hopefully we can get that ushered through as quickly as possible. Yeah, these are big uh, programs that don't uh, move quickly, um, and I, I'm hoping that we'll get that put through before we are loosening restrictions on on folks. Yeah, that's I. I mean, you're right. I mean, even if the uh, the waiver were submitted today and, and accepted uh, in you know, short order by next week, it would still be mid-May at the earliest, uh, potentially late mm-hmm. May before uh, that program is operational here in the state of Missouri. But it sounds like there are other reasons to be doing this uh, other than the global pandemic, because this was a, a pilot project that was started some time ago. Yeah, that's right. And there were 
Missouri had actually submitted a, a waiver request uh, when the program was initially announced to be part of the pilot program, uh, and that waiver was denied. It was a pretty small pilot, I think at nine or ten states at that point. And since the pandemic has uh, really taken off here in, in the United States, uh, I believe we're up to six states uh, who have been added to the program since that time. So it seems like USDA is turning around these waiver requests fairly quickly at this point. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it it seems like a barrier. Whether we get it done now, uh, it should remain in place. We should remain uh, part of an online purchasing program into the future. And as far as you know, is this pilot project working? Are people able to access their benefits and get their food? And um, it works for the local businesses as well. Yeah, it is working. Unfortunately, um, it is the waiver program really kind of is restrictive in that it just allows certain retailers in certain states to to benefit and participate in the program. So it really is more just big retailers uh, and not necessarily the local um, locally owned groceries uh, that can participate. Uh, trying to work with DSS on making ours as broad as possible um, moving uh-huh. forward, but uh, but it, yeah, it's still restrictive. And, and my communications with uh, Senator Blunt's office and Senator Hawley's office as well has been, let's just lobby USDA to remove this restriction completely for all states and and allow smaller retailers to participate as well. Yeah, because that is something that people are using these benefits at farmers markets and at um, locally owned grocery stores right now. And what you're saying is that if they go to an online ordering system, that might leave out the, the smaller vendors. That's that's what we've seen in other states. Yes. Okay. And once a person decides that, once a beneficiary decides, okay, I'm going to use this online thing, can they use some of their benefits locally, or is like now now they just have to use the big stores? They can they can use their um, uh, SNAP benefits either way. So it's definitely not a okay. mandate. Um, it, it it just create, uh, allows greater flexibility for uh, the potential for online purchases. So is there a downside to Missouri moving this direction? Not that I can see. I, I mean, while while the pilot program is still restrictive, at least for some of our most vulnerable individuals uh, around the state, state receiving SNAP, it could it would keep them out of grocery stores uh, where they could be put at, at greater risk of exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. I think the our participation in the pilot program is is important, uh, and I'll continue to lobby um, USDA to just remove this barrier completely and allow all retailers and, and all SNAP recipients to purchase online for curbside pickup or delivery as um, as should be allowed. And SNAP is the program that some people refer to as food stamps, but it, that's not what it's called anymore. And Yeah, that's correct. That yeah, food stamps. Yeah. So this SNAP, is yeah. supplemental assistance for uh, people who are experiencing food insecurity. Um, so uh, I was going to ask you something else, but I don't know. Is there anything else that you feel like I should ask you about that particular well, issue? One one thing that I hear on a regular basis, um, especially with the federal money that's currently flowing through the state as it relates to coronavirus relief, is frustration by local um, county health departments around the state of Missouri who are not 
receiving any of those federal funds through the state at this point. Uh, Missouri is Missouri's ranked 50th in the nation in support for the local county health departments. And these county health departments are doing a tremendous job uh, to track the spread and to, to flatten the curve as much as possible. Uh, we are relying on them more than ever uh, to, to really keep this in check. And Missouri has been underfunding them for many years now. And, uh, yes. and it's really showing through right now. It's very frustrating. I've you know, had regular contact with Department of Health and Senior Services uh, to encourage them to release that funding to the local uh, local officials as quickly as possible. So what you're saying is there is funding that the state Department of Health and Senior Services has, and that it has not yet um, moved to the health department, the county health department level. Yeah. So some of the money that already has come in from the federal government has been used to to purchase PPE, which you know I understand prioritizing the PPE, uh, but we need to do better about getting the funding out more quickly to local county health departments. The, the, the coronavirus relief funds, the CARES Act money, uh, we did just receive it in our state treasury this week. It, it, I think we got about $1.1 billion. And I, I feel confident that as soon as the guidance is released by the federal government on how that money can be spent, that we will distribute that as quickly as possible to local municipalities and counties uh, around the state. But, uh, we need to make sure that that happens uh, as quickly as possible. Right. So as we talk about all of us feeling tired of maybe not the severe introverts, but the, all of us being tired of this restriction on our economies, on our culturally significant gatherings, on our religious expression, all of these uh, restrictions that we're experiencing, we're feeling um, some uh, understandable strain and wanting to know when when can we release some of that. All of the smart people in the room are saying, well, first we have to have widespread testing, and then we have to have a, a mechanism for tracing contacts of people who test positive. That's correct. So that we can control the ongoing spread. So, for example, if I coughed on you, I wouldn't do it, Kip, but if I did, and tomorrow my test is positive, we need somebody to call you so that you don't then expose your grandmother and all of your staff at the at the Capitol and all of that. Um, and that because we know people are contagious before they show symptoms, it's so much even more important in this illness than it is in others to be able to do that contact tracing. And that is really high uh, personnel intensive work. It's very much so. And it's uh, so, and it's almost around the clock at this point. Right. And once, so, once the new once the new positive is is uh, is found, then yeah, it, it becomes a, a rush to to trace down all the people in that web that maybe have come in contact with that individual. Right. So if we want to open things back up, we need more more money and staff and um, supplies for our public health workers. And I. Absolutely, I'm staying pretty laser focused on trying to protect my colleagues who are in the hospital so they don't have to um, witness horribly traumatic events and and for my neighbors to not experience that in the hospitals. Um, for us to do that, it's this conflict like I can't believe we have to choose between personal protective equipment for our hospital workers and contact tracing 
which would keep the PE. But that's, that's the way right. we are. Yeah. And one one more thing that I'd like to add on what you were saying about, you know, lifting stay-at-home orders. I, you know, I'd love for us to be in a position to lift stay-at-home orders. I don't, no one wants to see our, our economy and small businesses and, and everyone just be crushed by this. With opening, opening up prematurely before widespread testing is available, you run the risk, obviously, of creating a second spike very quickly. But just from a pure economic standpoint as well, if you tell everybody that we're in the clear and to go back out prematurely, then at the point a second spike does occur, you just erode consumer confidence immediately. And that consumer confidence does not come back quickly. And you actually push yourself further into what could look like a depression. Um, and so right. it, there's obviously economic reasons why you don't want to prematurely open as well. Yes, absolutely. Well said. So if folks um, have strong opinions about any of the things you've discussed, it sounds like they can call their U.S. senator, they can call their state um, representative or a senator, and they could call the FDA to talk about um, these um, lifting the restrictions on the SNAP benefits being used electronically. Are there other yeah, places people should express themselves that you know of? I mean, that's great. I mean, reaching out to the local elected officials at the county, city level, reaching out to your state representatives, your state senator are, are important right now. And we're, you know, I'm working from home mostly at this point, uh, but diligently checking emails and, and phones and everything and trying to be as responsive as possible. And it's, it has been emails that have come into me expressing concerns that has allowed me to, to push, um, push for changes at the state level and trying to remove some bureaucratic red tape uh, to improve people's outcomes. And so those, those personal stories are, are important for us at this point. So I encourage people to, to reach out. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you, Kip Kendrick, uh, Missouri uh, House representative from the 45th district. Um, <clears throat> thanks for joining us this morning on community pulse. Tim, did you have anything that we needed to add? I think that's no, it. I think yeah, I think that covers it. Thank you very much. Okay. Yep, thank you both right. for joining us. You're welcome. Um, be well. You too. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, we were speaking with Kip Kendrick, Missouri State Representative from the 45th District, and of course, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician. Coming up next at 10 a.m., we have Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only weekly in-depth art, in-depth art program. On today's episode, host Diana Moxon will guide us through her local arts universe. She'll explain how you can binge watch the Columbia-made soap opera Nettle Point. We'll also hear about a new novel about a dystopian future where telling an untruth comes with a jail term. And we'll find out how the famous clarinet beginning of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue started out as a joke. That's coming up this morning at 10 a.m. on Speaking of the Arts on KOPN. Thanks for listening to Community Pulse. Once again, we would love to hear your questions and comments. So if you have one, you can give us a call at 573-874-1139 and leave it as a message. Or you can send it in an email to gm at kopn.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next Monday at 9 a.m. for Community Pulse.